Welcome to the Neurodiverse Toolbox with Sheila Kieschlin and Paige Kieschlin. Good evening, Paige. Good evening. And we should say good morning, good morning. to our guest, um, who is um, with us from Australia. So um, Martha Bernard Ray is with us. She's a copywriter. And I'm going to let her do the rest of her bio real quick. Well good morning. And thank you for having me. <laughs> I am. A, I'm a copywriter. I'm in Denmark, Western Australia, which is on the very southwest coast of Western Australia. It's very far from everything. Um, my business is called Word Candy, and I'm a copywriter, and I am also a speaker and a trainer and a TEDx speaker, of course. Yeah. So a speaker and a trainer for for what? Well, I do some training sessions around the work that I do. So around like SEO copywriting or how to write conversationally, how to communicate your brand values, that kind of thing. And then I also, ever since I did the TEDx talk on ADHD, have been doing quite a lot of ADHD advocacy and speaking sort of on that front. Um, and then also I'm like a... I don't know, an angry feminist. So I do some speaking about that as well. <laughs> okay. So um, since you mentioned the TEDx um, talk, um, tell us, oh, no, wait, I have to back up. I forget about this all the time. Aww. We always ask the I same ask three questions. questions. Love okay. it. Um, so what is something you can't go a day without doing? Oh, I guess. <laughs> having a cup of tea, putting on mascara. That's two things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Those are two really unique things. Cause usually we get like, I need my coffee. You know, almost everybody we interview is American. So they're like, coffee. So those are I don't, I don't drink coffee ever. And like, I've been with my husband for 15 years and he's still like a bit suspicious. <laughs> he's like, how though? And I'm like, cause it tastes disgusting. So I'll have tea. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, what what habit have you found that helps your brain the most? Oh, Paige, like, listen, which week is it is the answer to that question? Because like, I'll develop a new habit. And then like two weeks later, I'm like, oh, I really liked that habit. Um, I think that, uh, well, it's a habit that I'm trying to develop more. And it is the habit of like, trying to accept that like when some ADHD thing happens to my brain that it's not like um a reflection of me as a person like I'm trying to just be more accepting and um so that's a habit I'm trying to develop in terms of a habit I have successfully developed I can't think of any right now I mean I definitely have some um, but it's just, I don't know what they are right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> so no, no worries. Um, what are you excited about today? Um, I'm excited. I've got a, a pretty big day today. I'm excited to be talking to you. Um, and I think more than excited, I'm a bit stressed because we're moving. So I'm excited Good. about moving, but then also like 
I don't, we have, I mean, if you've watched the TEDx talk, you'll know we have lots of Lego. So like even just moving that <laughs> bit of a mission. So I'm yeah, excited about like the next month or so, but also I'm a bit like already exhausted. It's a lot of executive functioning to move. Yeah. There are lots of parts to moving for sure. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Um, so, so tell us about the experience for the TEDx X talk, like beginning to end, tell us like how it happens. Um, so the, a person has to apply for a license to host TEDx events. So you like a, you know, an enterprise, an enterprising person will apply for that. And, um, the woman who did that down here was called Christian, sorry, Kristen Purge Brown, um it's TEDx Kinjarling which is I think the only TEDx event that is named with the name that the traditional owners gave the land in that place rather than sort of the colonization name so that was really significant and of course she did that with permission from the um, First Nations community here. Um, but so then if you want to be a speaker you apply and they get you to send in basically um, like what is your idea? Why does it matter sort of thing? And then a bit of a framework of what you're going to talk about. Um, so to kind of make sure they don't want anybody with like a commercial idea or that's trying to sell something or anything that's really like, obviously, um, not your area of expertise or not supported by research and stuff. So they kind of go through that and then you either get accepted or don't. And there's sort of a series of um, like, I guess, coaching sessions, which are actually kind of like them making sure you're doing it. Um, and so that happens over, I guess I probably applied in maybe like August. And then over the next few months, you like work on it, I guess. I don't know. Apparently people can work on things before the time, but she was like, are you ready? Cause like, you're showing us your first, like, you know, your first rehearsal. And I was like, like yeah it'll be fine <laughs> but I you know you know she's like but the thing you know your first rehearsal of this day and I'm like yeah but we all know what the real date is like it's don't worry about it <laughs> but I um I did of course I took it very seriously but um so then you write it well they tell you like yeah you've been accepted and we want you to do like a 14 minute talk or whatever okay. so there some of them are like four minutes and some of them are longer so yeah, you write it and then you panic because you have ADHD and you're supposed to memorize it, which we've then sort of like, you know, when we thought about it, we're like, that's not actually, that's quite ableist. Um, totally. So I kind of put that into the talk. Um, I that part of the talk actually, because I was like, yes, thank you for calling them out for sure. Yeah. And so, and like, to be honest, I was actually probably the one on the day that I did mine that had it memorized. Um, so there were, I mean, it's flexible. So I think the ones that kind of go and get a lot of traction are more likely to be memorized. And I think there are thousands of them that people are using slides or notes or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, you turn up on the day and you practice, 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 practice before that. Um, and unfortunately, uh, the woman who's uh, one of the, a woman in the, um, green room was 
like started talking about how like ADHD is fake and like people just need to climb trees and I'm just like what I'm I just so that was really devastating and really it was just really awful and so kind of like in the 15 minutes before I went on I kind of had to like pull it all together I was so upset and then kind of go and do it so I mean in a way I feel like it made it almost a little bit better because like I was very rattled and I like I did have it memorized and so I kind of was annoyed but I think the cards kind of became like a character in it by the end of it um and then you just like collapse in a heap after okay Hmm. (laughs) where do they get the audience from and stuff because they're they sell tickets they sell tickets okay yeah I had no idea yeah so they sell they sell tickets and like it was a sort of a an afternoon I think it was a Saturday afternoon and you know you go and there was like a couple speakers and then like a break and there was food and drinks and stuff and then you went back and so it was it was great it's like a, an event and it was a, a I mean it's a big deal I think particularly for like a place that's so far from everywhere um people were excited and you know yeah, so they, they sold out and they've done a few more events since then. So how did you hear about it? Like, how did you even know to like, go look that there was one near you to apply to? Well, I just saw it on social media. And also the Kristen was like, I got the license. I know. Oh, I'm, you know her. You knew her. Mine, you yeah. knew she was doing it. Okay, cool. Yeah. And I mean, there are also like you know the so the town that I live in has about 5,000 people only but that Albany which is next to us is a bigger you know it's like 60,000 people or something so there you know word gets around and people get sort of tapped to did you know this is happening and yeah it just becomes a bit of a thing cool awesome so um in a lot of the coaching classes I've taken they're um they're pretty international classes we have a lot of people from other countries that take them and we always have at least one or two from australia and they have a really unique perspective about like what's going on down there in the adhd world what's your perspective of what it's like down there for people with adhd um i think it's getting better. I think like I was only diagnosed two years ago. Um, and I think, you know, there's a bit of a, I mean, on one side, there's a, there's a thing where, you know, before we started recording, I joked that like everyone has ADHD and it's just a trend. Like there's this idea that like, it's just like a social media thing and like, you know, social media will be the death of us, that sort of thing. But like, I mean, obviously the sexism in the medical industry and the fact that women have not been included in studies and, you know, that's the reason why we aren't getting diagnosed. Like people can get really triggered when it's like, no, actually this is um, a need that has been in the community for a very long time. And like what's happening now is that the scales are kind of equaling, right? So there is for a long time, there has been under diagnosis of ADHD in across the board. 
Mm -hmm. um, because obviously it, people thought it was just like a hyper young boys condition yeah. and they grow out of it and blah, blah, blah. And so now there's like a bit more kind of understanding. And I was speaking at the ADHD Western Australia conference last year. And one of the, the sort of psychiatrists that's the head of their board was saying, we're getting to the point in Australia where the numbers of people getting diagnosed are more reflective of the actual numbers, but it's the treatment and the access to good, consistent treatment that a lot of people are really struggling with. And it's like, I mean, the medical system in Australia is very different from the medical system in America. Thank goodness, no offense, but it's, you know, you can get um, public treatment but what I also know is like, particularly for adults in the public health system, the numbers of adults being treated for ADHD are like vanishingly low. So like, if you don't have private health care and you're an adult, it's almost impossible to get diagnosed with ADHD or with autism. So, you know, you if you push and push and push and push and push, sure. But I can't remember the exact number, so I don't want to just like make it up. But, you know, Western Australia, the state that I live in is the size of Texas. It's big. And yes, most of it is empty, <laughs> but there are lots of people that live here. And it was something, you know, he was like, take a guess of how many adults in Western Australia are being treated for ADHD. And, you know, you're thinking like at least hundreds of thousands. Right. And it was like hundreds so they're just not getting treated in the public system. In the private system, you can definitely get treated. Like it does cost money. I mean, it, I mean, it obviously depends on what your financial situation is. It's it is expensive, um, and the wait time is quite long, but it can be done. But it, I mean, the difficulty, and I'm sure you've had this conversation lots of times. It's like getting diagnosed with ADHD requires so much executive function. <laughs> it's like the most, like the hardest thing you'll ever do is like, or, you know, go to the GP, get the thing, find out which psychiatrist you want to go to, let the GP know, get blah, 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 blah. It just goes on and on. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like you, it, it can be done. And, but again, it's a, you're in a, you're in a privileged position if you have the time, resources, and energy to like navigate that system successfully. Hmm. What about the, I've definitely talked to some people who say like, there's a negative attitude towards people with ADHD, but she lived there years ago. Um, so she actually worked for the World Health Organization and she was a client of mine for a while. Um, and so that she found was really stressful because she was really open about having ADHD because it was pretty typical here, right? And she lived there maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, do you find that yeah. that's true or is that dissipating or? Um, I think to an extent, uh, people are kind of afraid to say a negative thing about it to me because they know I'll bite their head off. Okay. But also <laughs> there is like a, you know, I mean, I don't work in an office. I don't have to interact with people who maybe like think ADHD is fake on a regular basis. I do have like annoying interactions 
but that's just like an ignorance thing. I don't, you know, I don't think like I, I spend a lot of time explaining and educating, which is exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if people really think that it's fake and that I'm making it up. I kind of like, well, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. It's not really any of my business. Like if you're too stupid to think that ADHD is real, like go with God. <laughs> what? My general response to people who are like that they don't believe in ADHD, I usually just ask them which of the 105 identified genes they don't like believe in. Yeah, which one is it? Which one is the one you think is fake? Like there, there's 105 associated with ADHD. No. So which one do you think isn't real? Do you know what I say is um, once I was standing on my veranda with my dog, who's a Labradoodle, and our neighbor walked past and she was like, oh, he's like a big, like a standard Labradoodle. And she was like, oh, is that a poodle? And I was like, he's a Labradoodle. And she was like, I don't believe in Labradoodles. And I was like, he's right here. <laughs> you don't have to believe in him. He's right here. <laughs> like it's a unicorn. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, how can you just can't not believe in, you know, I say like, it's a diagnosable neurological condition. Like, it's okay if you don't believe in it, but like it exists. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So, um, so in the emails we exchanged, you said that you've like really kind of changed the way that you're working to make it work for you. And that's, that's sort of what we really, you know, one of the things that Paige and I want to do with this podcast is sort of show like all these different versions of success among people who are neurodiverse. Um, so, or people who are making, making the strengths of neurodiversity work for them at work or wherever else. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you did for your business to make it work for you, because when you do work alone and copywriting has a lot of steps to it. Mm, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So copywriting just, I mean, I'm sure every, I mean, no, I'm not sure everybody okay. knows. Most people yeah. don't know what it is. I say I'm a copywriter and they just sort of look blankly. And then I say, I write words for the internet. And then they kind of like, mm, okay. And then I say, <laughs> well, and I, to help with, you know, getting found online. So I write words for people's websites and I write words for, you know, reports and all kinds of things. And then they're kind of like, okay. Um, but traditionally a copywriting project is like, you know, you, I would get uh, like a lead and then I would say, what work do you need done? And I'd send them a proposal and then they'd say, yeah, let's do it. And then I'd say, okay, I have a wait list of six weeks. And then I'd book them in and then we would do the brief and then I would do a sample and then they would have to get back to me, which is like the first problem. And then they would give me feedback and then I would write the rest and then I would send them the final copy deck and then I would you know and in here I've also sent them in the first invoice and the second invoice and then I have to wait for them to give me feedback and then I have to respond to the feedback and then I have to do the final handover and the whole process could take like three months right and then out here just listening to you talk about it she was like <gasps> sorry Paige I don't want to do it in the evening but that's what I used to be doing it was awful and like the difficulty I mean all of it is steps and you know whatever but the biggest problem to be honest is like the clients wouldn't respond in time and then the whole thing would get pushed out and so Paige you're gonna hate this I had this spreadsheet 
that helped me to work out, like, I don't even know when I'm booked until, because like, this isn't starting for six weeks. And I'm guessing that this is going to take this long, but then this gets pushed out and then this has to move. And it was just like, so that's not happening anymore. So now what I do, I invented hyper-focus weeks. Um, and I mean, I didn't invent this. I only invented the excellent name. There are lots of people who do this kind of like buy my time situation. But um, now I get a client and we do, you know, they, they, I talk to them, obviously, send them the proposal, they sign up, they pay up front. And then like on a Thursday, we do the brief. I start the work on a Tuesday and then the following Tuesday they receive like the fully proofread finished copy deck is what we call it, but like the job and it's done then. And that is really working for me because I'm only focusing on one thing at a time. And it's like, there's urgency, like, because I have to send the work to the proofreader on Friday so it's like, okay, we have Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to like plan, strategize, research, and write. And then Friday, we get it proofread. Monday, like if there's any changes. And then on Tuesday, I record like a video where I talk, like record my screen and talk them through and explain. Because often like, you know, there's a reason why a copywriter does puts a word in a certain place and people kind of are like, well, I don't, you know, and so we kind of explain why and explain, particularly with clients that haven't worked with a copywriter before, mm -hmm. explain, you know, how this copy deck translates into, you know, give this to your web designer and they'll know how to use it, but I want them to understand. So we just explain that. And then they can, like the price includes like a follow-up sort of seven days later, if they have any questions. So we, can have a call at that time and that's it nice yeah it's really good and it, you know it is a bit of a a nerve-wracking thing because this is a premium service and so it costs more and so there is like that kind of time when you go from like well this is how I used to work and this is how I work and you just have to kind of trust that like you know, they're like, well, can't we do it the old way and it'll be cheaper? And you have to be like, no. And so what I say is like, if you want the project to take a lot longer, I can refer you to a different copywriter, which is a bit cheeky. And I mean, you know, it's not in everybody's budget and that's fine because if it's not, then that person's not my ideal client. And like, right. Okay. right, for sure. So how many clients would you do in like a month? Um, well, I have a couple of retainer clients, so mm -hmm. I do their work. I generally, it's really interesting because I decided last year that I wanted to leave a buffer so that I didn't have one every week because I might need to catch up because I got burnt out last year. Um, so, and like we're moving, as I said, and so I haven't booked any hyper-focus weeks in the next couple of weeks. And yesterday I was like, oh, thank goodness I don't have any hyperfocus weeks booked. And David was like, but you chose, like, that was you. You chose not to book those because you are like managing your time. It's not like luck, right? <laughs> so that I was like really proud of like 
you know, it's going to have to be okay for these clients to wait until after April. Cause also my mom's visiting from Canada and like, it'll just be too busy. So generally I do like two to three, but two really in a month. And then I do my retainer clients. And the idea then is like, I'm not, you know, completely panicked. Um, about yeah, work. that's quite a short timeline. I mean, you're really using that urgency, ADHD, mm. motivation. Well, and the, I'm sorry to interrupt. The other thing is like, I know how much actual work time that is right so it's not like I'm gonna work 24 hours a day for that those few days it's like I know that like a typical hyper focus week is about eight to ten hours of work and then if I look at what they need and it's more than that then I just increase the price but and then I do more that week but it's like quite a manageable amount of work to do Nice. How long, like a lot of my clients don't know how long it takes them to do that kind of work though, like, or any kind of work. Um, so how did you figure that out? What'd you do to figure that out that it's between eight and 10 hours? Um, I, well, I'm in, you know, co a copywriting membership and there are, you know, part of that is you get like resources and stuff. And so there is this really great, um, quoting kind of spreadsheet and you it's like you know you need to allocate this much time for research this much time for this this much time for that you know we know that like if I'm writing some website copy like I know roughly how long a homepage would take right like a homepage is significant there's a lot of thinking that's like a three-hour job to write that and then, and people get really surprised and they're like, well, but it's so few words. And it's like, well, it's actually harder to be brief and effective than to just like write whatever. So if it's a website, I kind of say, okay, you know, about three hours for this and two hours for this and that. And it did like, it's a guess, but it, that's kind of the average and like the accepted amount. If I do it faster, great. If I don't and I do it slower, it all kind of like comes out in the wash. Like I know, I know how much I can get done in that amount of time, roughly. And sometimes it happens a lot faster. Other times, maybe it doesn't. I don't, I mean, we're all supposed to be tracking like every minute that we spend, but I don't do that because like, I'll forget to turn the timer off. And I'm like, I spent 79 hours doing this. <laughs> Um, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a price for the service. So, right. you know, they get the completed thing. And then I, if, if it goes over, which it doesn't really, I just wear that. Okay. What about, what about the other parts of business that, that people don't necessarily like to do, right? Like your own advertising or your own accounting or. I don't know. What else, what else you? Uh, my own bookkeeping. Uh, I, like, I just don't do those things. <laughs> so I, I have a bookkeeper. You just don't do them. I don't know. No, I'm actually calling you from prison. Um, <laughs> I just, I have somebody that, that I have a bookkeeper. I've had a lot of trouble with um, virtual assistants. Um, and it, it seems 
like the ones that I've had have had like personal stuff going on and it's been quite, you know, bad timing, but it actually ended up stressing me out more. Um, so at the beginning of this year, I kind of let go the virtual assistants and I was like, you know, people who don't have ADHD are like, well, just um, allocate some time each day to admin. And I'm like, <laughs> what a great idea. Like I've never but, thought of that before. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. Like you think if I got like a calendar, I'd be cured. <laughs> if only. <laughs> so I have been trying time blocking this year, which has been good for me. And so I do kind of, I look at the time blocking. I'm not amazing at like following it exactly, but like when I get lost and I find that I'm like looking at a video for how to solve a Rubik's cube, I can go back to like the day and be like, oh, it's focus work time. Maybe we should wrap this up. <laughs> um, so it, that that's helpful. But yeah, like a, the admin stuff. I mean, when I did have the assistance, they set up, systems like I use Asana which is just like a task manager thing I've got a really great Asana board for my workload and that kind of like when you look at it in different views you can see like where each project's at and then like a timeline of what's coming up so yeah. now that I'm just doing the hyper focus weeks it's a lot easier to just kind of go oh I'm doing that that week great so so that stuff I mean I didn't put I didn't set those things up but they are useful and then at Dubsado is another thing that I use which like sends emails and there's like workflows so you know when somebody says that they're interested it sends them an email automatically and all that kind of yeah. stuff but you to be automated honest, a bunch of stuff yeah it stresses me out though because I don't trust it like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, but it like those things are really helpful because I'm not just trying to keep everything in my um, brain anymore. Right. I mean, like definitely as somebody that is like, is their entire company, I'm the same way. Right. I, I am my company. Right. But mm. like, I'm not going to do I, I, like what I'm good at is coaching. I'm not going to do everything else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so the right supports. Right. Um, or have systems built for you, right? So cool. Um, so how do you balance your hyper-focus weeks with the rest of your life? <laughs> um, so I have um, two children, um, both. So one of them has uh, inattentive ADHD and one of them has combined ADHD. And they're both we're looking at, I think, on the autism spectrum, which is, you know, exciting, great. You know, they're lovely children, but there's just a lot of, uh, you know, stuff that goes along with that. So how do I manage? Um, I get that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my, so I have a husband, David, who does not have ADHD. I mean, apparently, but <laughs> he, well, we all have it, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Everyone does. And if we all just climb some trees, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, so my husband is a, you know, an equal partner in our relationship and the raising of our children. So we share the load of parenting and all of the jobs that go along with parenting. 
Um, and I, to be like, when I first got diagnosed, my mom was like, honestly, if you weren't married to David, I think you'd be dead. <laughs> so there's a, there's a he is, you know, I, I don't want to like, he's a wonderful husband. I think anyone in a partnership should recognize that like the job of raising these children that we created together is both of ours. Mm-hmm. So For sure. you know, I, I know it's, it can be rare, but he is very engaged with that kind of stuff. So, and we know like who's good at what, like, I'm not going to go grocery shopping, for example, like, it's just not a good, I just, I just can't do it. And he can do it. And there are other things that I'm good at that he can't do. And so it it does make me feel um, like kind of guilty sometimes, but then he says, you know, I'm good at like getting us like fed, but he's like the things that you are good at in terms of, um, you know, helping our children to accept their brains and be confident and, you know, be as great as they can and feel good about themselves. He's like, that stuff is so much more important. And I'm like, I know, but like, we do need to eat. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, both are really important. Right. Totally both important. But so yeah, managing all of that is um difficult. And like I get overwhelmed a lot. And you know, I think there's <clears throat> like this this perception that like this thing that I do when I, I can, am like energetic and vivacious, I'm not like this all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not 24-7, just like yeah. this. It's it's really interesting, like because I've the, the TEDx talk that I did has had a lot of views and there are a lot of comments and I've read a lot of the comments and a lot of them are beautiful, lovely, amazing comments. And a few of them are, are like, you know, she's up here doing this and she owns a business and like, and I can't get out of bed. And, and that, you know, I, it made me feel really awful for that person and I didn't do it to make people feel bad about how their ADHD manifests I did it because this is a thing that I am good at and like you're good at something else but it's really that sort of I'm trying to kind of convey to people that like it's not all like being dressed up and saying funny things about ADHD it's really hard and I heard uh really I'm sure you've read um your brain's not broken by Tamara Rossier it's a really good book but she talks about she's got this really good analogy about an ADHD brain so she said that if you have excuse me if you have if you don't have ADHD you have like a personal assistant in your brain that's like this is where your AirPods are. This is where your car keys are. And then if you do have ADHD, you have like an angry neighbor who's just like yelling over the fence being like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you know where your AirPods are? How have you left your keys in the wrong place? And I was like, oh my God, like that, okay, A, that's amazing. And B, absolutely. But the other thing she said is like, it's that, you know, this superpower narrative, like ADHD is a superpower. And, and as far as I'm concerned, I mean, there are good things that I can do, but she goes, how useful is a superpower that you can use for 20 seconds a day? <laughs> like that's, 
And I, I understand that kind of, you know, we want to turn everything into a positive. Um, what I really try to tell people when I talk about ADHD is like, yeah, I mean, I can do some cool things, but the effect that ADHD has on, on my life, on my everyday life, it's like, it's hard. It's a bummer. And it's, you know, I really try to get people to understand, like, it's not just about focus, right? It's the executive so function. It's like the shame of, you know, years of kind of not understanding why you can, you can't do these like, quote unquote, easy things that everybody can do. Mm-hmm. So it it's, I'm happy that um, more people are learning about ADHD, but it's really hard because it is such a nuanced um, discussion and like not everybody has time to have a nuanced discussion. So they just want to be like, oh, can't focus or whatever. And it's they, like, mm-hmm. yeah, they do like to put little. Yeah. Yes. Oh, you mm-hmm. can't still. Oh, you're late. Oh, you can't. Yeah. Focus. Right. That's, totally. what, that's what the average person knows. Not, not, oh, when you react, it's actually like out of shame because you already feel bad about it because you've already yeah. beat yourself up about it. Yeah. Well, and like the other thing that I read is like living with undiagnosed ADHD is traumatic. Having post-traumatic stress syndrome. Yes. Yeah. And like, I've, you know, I've been in therapy for a long time because I, they said that I had anxiety before (laughs) and I finally kind of like found some, a type of therapy that, that works for me. But, you know, it's that thing of like, live, you know, regardless of, you know, in my TEDx talk, I was like, you know, I had, I had great, good parents, a happy childhood. We had enough, whatever, but it's like all of that kind of shame around, you know, I could, my thing is I could have done this better, right? It's not, I'm not good enough. I know that I'm good enough, but my thing is like, "Mm, well, I mean, like, I guess if you're happy with that, like that's my inner critic. Um, so yeah, it's just that I'm trying to kind of explain to people the fullness of this very complicated. It's um, so emotional dysregulation is not part of the diagnosis in the U S for lots of reasons. Um, um, is it in Australia? Um, I, well, we, like we use the DSM, so but it's it's like it's understood to be a an executive function so in that way yes the hallmarks in the dsm-5 in the united states are you have to have like inattentiveness to to unpreferred tasks right not not like stuff you want to pay attention to um hyperactivity um, inattentiveness, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. And that's what they do. Now, everybody who works with people with ADHD obviously knows that emotional dysregulation is the biggest issue, right? But um, but uh, that's pretty funny. My dad's calling. Um, <laughs> sorry, dad. Um, <clears throat> but um, like in Europe, emotional dysregulation is part of the diagnostic process. So I was there. Um, well, they like so they they have 
<clears throat> recently announced an inquiry into ADHD and inquiry is like Australian political language for like, we're going to look at it. Mm -hmm. And they've just released new guidelines for ADHD. So the guidelines are like, this is what people should understand about ADHD and what they should know. But also like my psychiatrist um, explained that like physicians and even psychiatrists barely learn anything okay. about ADHD. So if you, you know, you have to get a physician or a psychiatrist that's like good at it, right? Because there are still physicians and psychiatrists that don't know anything. I think like we are, I think in a good position in a way because the drugs for ADHD are what's called schedule A drugs in Australia, which means that a psychiatrist is the only one who can prescribe them. So in one way that is exclusionary, but also I do think it's good that with the amount of training that GPs get, that they don't have the ability to prescribe these drugs. Like if it, and, and like after, you know, once you're on a dose and like I've been taking mine for ages and, you know, my psychiatrist is like, well, it, I can co-prescribe with your GP. And I was like, no, because every time I go to him, he's like, how's it going? Like, do we need to tweak anything? Cause I take just a variety of drugs, <laughs> but like, do we need to tweak anything? And I don't like, I think my GP is great, but I don't believe that my GP has the knowledge to be like, you know, like in January, my, my psychiatrist was like, Oh, what if you tried taking like 40 milligrams of Vyvanse and one Dexy in the morning, and then like three Dexys in the afternoon, and just like really suggest these good tweaks. And that actually works for me. Because I don't know why, but I feel much better than I did. I was like a bit jittery on on a bit more Vyvanse. And so I was like, you know, I feel really jittery and he's like, we'll try this. And then it all just like makes it just so much better for me to be speaking to an expert in these drugs rather than just, cause I know like in some States there are like doctors and nurse practitioners even that can prescribe them. In, in the U S yes, docs, any doctor can prescribe any nurse practitioner can prescribe and it's the same way they're not educated about it, right? So Please. the practitioners who are prescribing are usually ones who have specifically gotten additional training yeah. in mental health or um, or ADHD and autism specifically, yeah. um, right? So, but like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of doctors who will just write the prescriptions, and I'm like, mm, no, go find yourself. Yeah, because I always like used to hear of like, yeah, I was used to hear of like college kids in the states using Adderall, and I'm like, how are these people getting their hands on Adderall? Like, honestly, I had to do a drug test, a urine test, and get an ECG before they would prescribe stimulant medication to me. I have to have on my driver's license that I take stimulant medication because if I get a drug test on the side of the road, they're like gonna think that I'm on cocaine. Right. So like it's very regulated and I can really understand like that is exclusionary. Mm -hmm. And I wish that I mean, and, you know, they're working towards, I think, 
making it more accessible, hopefully. But I also don't really want to see the opposite where just like any GP, I mean, I've met some pretty dumb GPs, like no offense, but I don't. No, I've had clients, I've had conversations with clients and they're like, yeah, it's just like my pediatrician does it or my regular doctor does it. And I usually say, maybe you want to go see this guy. I have a couple of local guys and I'm like, hmm, how about this guy? Um, because you want somebody who really understands the pharmacology and has yeah. that information and really, you know, that's their expertise. Well, and particularly as a woman, because like at the, the ADHD conference that I spoke at last year, there was this amazing psychiatrist. <clears throat> Her name was Belinda Audi, and she focuses on ADHD in women. And she was explaining like at some, you know, weeks of their cycle, there are women who like their stimulant medication has no effect. So like there are women who I'm sure, you know, are like, you know, for the first, whatever, however many weeks of their cycle taking this dose. And then the next two weeks they're taking this and something else because like hormones just really mess with ADHD. Women who um, have ADHD also have our like a, a more likely incidence of PMDD. Yeah, people with women with autism have a significantly higher. Like it's like, would we say like ninety? It's like ninety percent, ninety two percent, which is enormous, right? So yeah, you do want somebody who understands all those things. Well, yes. and like, that just goes with that same kind of, you know, medical sexism and medical gaslighting, right? So when a, a a teenage girl or a young woman goes to the doctor and says, like, I have debilitating cramps, I have dysphoria, you know, we're just like, well, you know, have you taken like Tylenol? And it's just <laughs> like, are you, it's, it's, you know, I have a friend who for her entire life had debilitating cramps, like just ridiculous. Finally, she got a hysterectomy when we were like 38 and she had had like, you know, exploratory stuff. And they're like, you don't have endometriosis. And then when the doctor took her uterus out, she took a photo of it because it was riddled with endometriosis. And she's like, you're not crazy. Like this is a bad case of endometriosis and like doctors particularly male doctors are just telling women like just get used to it basically like you you just have to put up with this and Mm -hmm. it's just not good enough another big issue some of my clients have especially young women is that they also get migraines Mm. and i think a lot of people don't understand that those drugs can Migraine meds can exacerbate ADHD symptoms, but ADHD drugs can exacerbate migraines. Really? Um, yeah. So, so you really need a doctor who's pretty well, pretty well versed and really keeps up on research, right? Mm. Really knows, really knows what they're talking about because as we're discovering all these things, right? Like. I had a client recently who actually goes to college in um, Canada whose parents were like, can you talk to us? Because we're really worried about her. Because she went off all her meds. Mm. Because it like was, she just like had this migraine for like two weeks. It wouldn't go away. Oh, God. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you need to go see this doctor yes. to prescribe her meds. 
because like somebody needs to like start from scratch and build up her meds in a way that's not gonna not gonna do that right you can't can't be at university and have a migraine for two weeks (laughs) it's not gonna work no I just like just this whole you know understanding that like this is what this is like what being a woman is right like the idea that being a woman is just like putting up with really bad (laughs) health outcomes yeah no because you know studies were designed around men created by and for men and like you just you know the the first ADHD study in women was like in 2002 I know even um for the longest time um autism uh testing it's still pretty um pretty skewed towards men because they changed this one word there used to be a question that said does your son line up his <gasps> or car the line line up his trains or trucks no. and women were like no but her Barbie dream house is like freaking perfect. And if you move the furniture, she's going to wig out, right? Like you need to change the question. So now the question is something more like, does your child, um, is is your child particular about how they keep their toys or something like that? Right. And I was like, "Ah, yeah, no, that's it's, it, they're very biased. They're very gender biased. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, and women are master, women with autism are master mimickers. So they don't get caught and their special interests are usually something that's age appropriate, right? Like I like this boy band or I like makeup or whatever, right? So they don't get caught until, you know, Paige was 19, 19. when she was diagnosed with autism, right? Yeah. And they it's only really- caught her... They only caught her ADHD because I was insistent that they allow her to retake a test with somebody sitting next to her. Yeah. Because it was such, it was such yes. an attentive ADHD that like, she looked like she was paying attention in class, but who the hell knows where she was. <laughs> I know. Paige, what are, what are your special interests? Um, let's see here. Uh, I like sharks. <gasps> Big fan. Big fan of sharks. We, we um, have sharks down here and they like eat people. So <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 um, uh, genealogy is really cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What is it about genealogy that you love? Um, it's a good question. Our whole family, my husband's whole side of the family, I have to say are like big history dorks. Yeah. And I think she's just made that into like, personal history like family history like that's how she's interpreting the history dork (laughs) find somebody who is like part of like an actual historic event that she's like studied or something and she's like oh now it's even more interesting because like i know like i'm related to somebody who was there right so you have to show who do you think you are or something like that it's on netflix yeah yeah that's a i really like that show um it's it's really interesting page because i really have been trying to find out more about my father's parents because we found out when my dad was like 65 that his parents were not the people who raised him were not his parents 
and everyone is like dead and you know so they have an idea that like the this woman that um my dad thought was his aunt was actually his mom and there's like his father was this soldier who was training in Ontario and I'm just like trying desperately to like learn more about this and I just can't <laughs> so it's just it's like such a mystery and then I guess it makes it harder that I'm like in Australia um and relying on the internet but yeah I totally get that like really kind of wanting to understand more about individuals because it's about people right yeah yeah, yeah. totally so um, so yeah so um awesome yeah do you have any other questions for Martha think so you don't think so okay great awesome we'll wrap it up here then thank you so much um i'm gonna attach like your ted talk and your website and stuff but do you want to tell people too if they want to know how to get a hold of you yes i do there's one other thing that i would love to mention which is um i've started writing a book oh yeah um, and it doesn't have a title and it's like, a. I mean, it might surprise you to find out that it's like a pretty niche interest. <laughs> so um, I am taking, like I get a lot of emails after the TEDx talk and I'm just letting people know if you want to like kind of stay in touch because I'm doing the book and I've got a podcast and, and a bunch of stuff. So um, I just, if, yeah, if people want to know more about that, they can get in touch with me. Um, I'm on Instagram at wordcandycoms. So wordcandy, C-O-M-M-S. My website is wordcandy.com.au. And I'm also on, on LinkedIn. Um, I've got a podcast called, um, why can't I remember what it's called right now? Uh, sorry, the one that works for you. <laughs> Which is, we talk to business owners about, you know, not implying that everything we do works for us, but like, what is the one system that does work for you? Because we know that the very best system is the one that works for you. And I, Sheila, I hope that one day you'll come and be on my podcast and page. That would be sure. really great. Yeah, we'd love yeah I'm, uh, I'm online a lot and uh, very happy to happy to hear from people. Awesome. That sounds great. Thank you so much for joining us so early in the morning there. Yes. Um, and and it's such a time that you're like moving and stuff. That's always such a stressful time. No, no, that's my pleasure. And to be honest, when I booked this, I didn't know we were moving. Well, I hope it's all good. <laughs> it is. It's, it's very good. It's very good. And thank you so much. Such a pleasure to talk to you how can I, I was looking for you last night online I and I found you on LinkedIn is that where you no, hang out I'm I'm on LinkedIn I have some very um specific views about how the Internet social works. media really manipulates people with um it manipulates everybody but I think it manipulates people with, who are neurodiverse even more so um so that's not how I get clients so um I'm on LinkedIn I have a website um so yeah Paige is on I'm on other social yeah she's on almost all the things oh good well let's find each other Paige thank you both and have a lovely Colorado evening we will we will thank you have a great day Uh, talk to you again sometime thanks so much thanks bye-bye yeah bye Bye. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening. If you wanted to coach with me, see my information at bigbangcoaching.net. If you are interested in emailing us, you can reach us at the ndtoolbox at gmail.com. And if you wanted to see our website, please go to the neurodiversetoolbox.podbean.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Neurodiverse Toolbox.